Most of us in healthcare are warm, caring people who are committed to keeping our patients safe and doing no harm. But there are some among us who do the unthinkable and betray our noble profession. On this podcast, we like to shine a light on the good and the bad. Each week, I'll be joined by another healthcare professional, and together we'll dive into these stories while chatting about nursing and healthcare along the way. I'm Tina, a registered nurse, and this is Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back to another week of true crime and nursing. And we like to throw a little good in there with the bad because, you know, I always like to end on a good note. I don't know about you guys, but I like the interesting kind of true crime stuff. But then I get it kind of gets a little dark and I want to watch something lighter. So that's how I do the podcast. And so that's how we're going to do this podcast. And I also, before we get started, I want to introduce my guest host for this week, who's really not even like a guest host anymore. He's been on so many times. We're just good friends. He's a definitely friend of the podcast. Mike Linares from Simple Nursing. Hey, Mike. What's up? How's it going? It's been a while. It's been a while. I know. We we got together last year before the Nurse Creator Con, and then obviously... Oh, yeah saw each other down there in Austin. And I don't know that we have even communicated since then. So no, I don't think so. That was really fun, though. It's amazing how but isn't it amazing how quickly six months or so can just like blink and it's gone. It's crazy. For those who are not familiar with Mike and with simple nursing, I just wanted to tell you simple nursing. Well, Mike, you tell them what is simple nursing? Well, simple nursing is kind of like Netflix for nursing. So I don't know if you guys remember the Cliff Notes back in the days where, uh, you know, you can condense a, uh, an entire book into a few pages. So that's what we do, but for nursing studies. So an entire three-hour lecture can be condensed into 10 minutes. And we have about 2,000 videos. And we're coming out with new study guides that we're basically putting in a book and with also QR codes where you can scan it and it'll go right to a video. And also, oh my gosh, Mike. So I'm really jealous because I, the reason I even know who Mike is, is obviously because of his, because of simple nursing. And I was in nursing school, I was following him, but that was when he first started. It was on YouTube. It was those raw videos. He was like literally in his living room, I think, and with (laughs) with a dry erase board. And I, I just, but oh my gosh, the the content was just amazing. I, I would be sitting over here trying to study and be so so confused. And then I'd go on YouTube. And I, when I once I found him, I knew that's where I would always go back to because I'm like, okay, what's Mike say about this? Because I feel like he breaks things down so just in a really nice, easy to understand way. So now, fast forward, what, eight years, and he mm-hmm. is good grief. It's 10 years. Oh my gosh. This is insane. When, when did you graduate? Oh, uh, well, I graduated in 15, but I started it in 13. So okay. I probably started. Yeah. Really literally when you started. Literally when I started, it was in a, I had a whiteboard with a yep. soft eraser. That's exactly right. And I did watch you kind of evolve while through my nursing. I saw, you know, you kind of got, got better and more elaborate. Everything just improved it. But now, oh my gosh, it was nothing like now. Yeah. It's like you took that concept clearly 
it really caught on and people just love it because who doesn't love a, someone who has the ability to break something so complicated down into just a, a nice, easy way to understand it. So that's why, and Mike is in no way a sponsor of this show. He is just a friend of mine. And I honestly believe in this product. That's the reason I, I anytime he comes on, I just want to tell you guys, if you are in nursing school or thinking about, you know, getting ready to go to nursing school, this is, this will help you get through nursing school and pass your NCLEX. If anybody knows NCLEX, Mike knows it. Mike knows the NCLEX. And so. Oh yeah. Especially there's new generation NCLEX questions now that get this, have six pages of case studies you have to go through to answer questions. Oh my gosh. So I'm just telling you, simplenursing.com. If you, if, especially if you're struggling in school at all, just trust me on this. Go over there, look at it. You, as soon as you look at it, you're gonna you're gonna be like, oh my gosh, where's this been all my life? It is amazing. It's truly amazing. Did you know that you don't have to go all across the country to be a travel nurse? You certainly can, but you don't have to. I literally took an assignment that's an hour and a half away from my house, and I love it. I can stay in a hotel room if I want, or I can drive back home. So it's the best of both worlds for me. For my next assignment, we're going to get a cabin in the mountains that's about two hours from our house, so it'll really be like a little getaway. Also, one of my really good friends is going with me so we can share expenses. You guys, even if you're just a little curious about travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and what they pay. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile. So <laughs> I guess we can get started with our bad, this is a bad doctor story. Oh my gosh, oh, okay. guys. This yeah. story. Eek. So there is some domestic violence that we're going to talk about in this story. It's, unfortunately, we have to talk about that a lot on this podcast. It's it's super sad how many people, it, I'm going to have to say it's mostly women, but not always, not always, but it is mostly women who die every year because of domestic violence. I mean, it it's very disturbing. So yeah, we're going to talk about that a little bit. That's just definitely uh, one of those cases. This is the story of Tyler Tate. He's a former doctor in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. He excelled academically and graduated from Madison Central High School in Madison, Mississippi with several scholarships. He obtained his medical degree from William Carey College of Osteopathic Medicine. However, he was dismissed from the medical program due to repetitive and varying instances on non-professional personal interactions, lack of proper judgment, and behavior patterns inconsistent with student expectations. So start So that means that he was mm-hmm. just either had anger management problems or was yeah. being promiscuous. Something was definitely clear. I mean, it, for it to, for them to kick him out of the program, it, it had to have been something. They wrote that, that so elegantly too. It's just mm-hmm. like, it's yeah, not professional interactions. Like. Right. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're going to, we're seeing a pattern form here and people can get, situations can be misunderstood and Mm -hmm. people can get punished and disciplined disciplined for things that really were not their fault. And so I always hesitate to just be like, oh, they did this or did that because I know people who've been through disciplinary action and it was literally just a horrible misunderstanding. And I, Mm -hmm. so I always want to reserve judgment. However, when when things become a pattern, when you start to mm-hmm. see a pattern of behavior, you kind of have to maybe, a bad nurse. yeah, 
Well, he fought the dismissal and it was appealed in his favor. He was placed on probation from 2014 to 2015. So maybe it was not so bad that they couldn't back it up and say, okay, well, we'll give you another chance. Clearly, they wouldn't have put him on probation if there hadn't, you know, if there was nothing that happened. So on probation, and then October 11th, 2021, the Chicote County, Arkansas Sheriff's deputies responded to a report of a woman in need of medical assistance along U.S. Route 65. Registered nurse Moira Kinsey was laying outside the vehicle parked along the highway. However, she wasn't alone. Tate was standing near the vehicle as a citizen performing CPR on Kinsey. This is terrible, horrible, you know, thought, you know, to have these two colleagues, you know, and one of, can you imagine just as a healthcare professional, somebody you're with has a medical emergency and you have to do CPR on them? It'd be so scary. Wait, so they were in the same car and Mm -hmm. they were driving to work, I guess, or something? Yeah. And so just trying to come at this from... With, with no judgment and just assume, you know, if you just assume without knowing anything else that they're just two coworkers in the car. Now there's a lot more to this story, obviously, or we wouldn't be talking about it on this show. So Tate claimed, this is what he's, this is his story. He believed Kinsey was suffering from a seizure because she had her arm and neck clenched. That's what he said. He stated that he was shocked and eventually pulled over on the highway and pulled Kinsey out of the truck and onto the roadside. He advised the responding officers that he signaled to other motorists that he needed help and several individuals pulled over to assist him. So she had several bruises around her neck and a cut on her right elbow And the responding officers found evidence of a physical altercation inside the vehicle. He offered no explanation for her injuries. There was video footage from the scene reportedly that showed Tate behaving erratically. I'm assuming this is probably from the police officers like dash cam. Oh, the dash cam. Yeah, yeah. And so this is after. I always have a problem when they say, someone was acting erratically or acting in an inappropriate manner after a really traumatic event, yeah. especially someone that, that involves someone they're close to. Yeah. I just feel like it's not fair to judge people in that situation. What do you, how do you know that's not how they would respond or you would respond in a situation where someone's having a medical emergency and you are afraid for their life? And I, I don't know. I just... That's fair. That's fair. All right. You're playing devil's advocate a lot here, but I don't, I don't think this is going... <laughs> it's not going well. Well, it's, it's not looking good, is it? No, not at so, all. He told psychologists that he was freaking out at the time Kinsey was being tended to. Kinsey was transported to the local hospital where she was pronounced dead hours later. Yeah. Wait, what? Mm-hmm. Oh, snap. I know really sad. So he thought it was a seizure. Did, was he actually performing CPR? He just said he was performing CPR. Now they said he was performing CPR. They saw him performing CPR. Holy I mean, holy. yeah, he was arrested by special agents of the Arkansas State Police Criminal Investigation Division. What? He was interrogated by investigators and he provided his account of the events leading up to, the, to Kinsey's death. Tate stated that he and Kinsey were traveling back to Tahlequah after attending his brother's funeral in Mississippi. Kinsey was a travel nurse at the time, and he had picked her up in Hot Springs, Arkansas, on the way to Mississippi. 
Tate and Kinsey stayed in a hotel in Jackson, Mississippi, and consumed alcohol. So some people, when they consume alcohol, have <laughs> their their personality, you know, gets fun and you know, kind of lighthearted and no, yeah, relaxed. But then there are other people who have the opposite reaction that get angry or get impulsive, um, or just if not angry, easy to anger. So, but I don't know why that is. Me and my friend were talking about this, and I think psychologists kind of broke it down that, like, when you get into that altered state, because GABA increases in your brain when you consume alcohol. So, the same thing that happens when you do benzos like Xanax or Ativan. But it's weird. Listen to Mike teaching you guys. (laughs) Always the educator. But I'm thinking, like, okay, psychologically, like, something's under there that unresolved issues. Because I have a friend that. Well, actually, it's a boyfriend of one of my close friends, but he's not a friend. But every time he drinks, he like gets really angry and starts fights with his with his partner or his girlfriend, and doesn't really fight with anyone else. He just like puts her down all the time. And I'm like, what is this inside of someone that once you like get to this like relaxed like cerebral state where you're kind of like unconscious of what you're doing? Like, how do you revert to like being angry? Yeah, it's it's definitely something to to think about. And if if you know that you respond this way when you drink alcohol. And I know every time and everyone's telling you. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. my gosh. If you, but, if you uh, know that you've had this many situations where, you know, you've damaged relationships and hurt people's feelings and who knows how you've responded, even hurt people physically, mm-hmm. you have got to make the decision to not drink. That's just, otherwise you, you know, you can't just blame your actions on alcohol because you choose, you're, you're choosing to put that chemical in your body and knowing how you personally respond to it. So there's really no excuse. I'm I'm thinking like on the, on the root level, because I was talking to a doctor, an anesthesiologist that does ketamine therapy for like PTSD people. And he was telling me that like ketamine therapy actually helps resolve a lot of those underlying issues along with like cognitive behavioral therapy or even just a therapist. And once you get to that root cause, he was kind of like theorizing. And I think he was saying something about like he he was a military doctor. He was saying something about how he would see guys in the military get drunk and then act like like Tate here. But then after they went through a few ketamine therapies or the, with with the cognitive what's it called CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, apparently it resolved. And so maybe the true self comes out when you drink. And so I don't know what was going on in Tate's life, but yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I love that. I, I never even knew that. I, I've heard about ketamine therapy though, and it, I've heard really good things about it. And I, it's wild. Um, yeah, I'm really optimistic about that being an option for people who are, you know, suffering from, you know, depression and anxiety and for over a long period of, of, you know, time and the traditional treatments are not working for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. It's like a hard reset, like on your iPhone. It's really wild. So according to Tate, Kinsey had become excessively inebriated by the hotel's poolside and caused a disturbance within her drunken behavior. Hotel staff threatened to contact police if Tate did not escort her away from the poolside and ultimately made good on their threat. Tate stated that by the time law enforcement arrived to the hotel, he had managed to get Kinsey back into their room and helped her to bed. Police left after seeing that Kinsey was sleeping in the room. 
The following morning, the two embarked on the journey back to Oklahoma. Tate had been accused of first-degree murder. Whoa. Yeah. The manner and cause of Kinsey's death have not formally been released to the court, although some released documents suggest strangulation was the cause of death, hence the bruising around the neck, which would not be caused from a seizure. I mean, it'd be hard to think of how you would have bruising around your neck after having a seizure, even a violent seizure. I don't know how that would happen. Dude, so this guy's driving down the road and just like choking her as he's driving. What the heck? Well, so not sure exactly what happened or how it happened, but the prosecuting attorney alleges that the cause of death was a, quote, karate chop with no further context. So basically, they're thinking that he hit her with the side of his hand in across her neck is what they're thinking. So I was in um, like uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu growing up, and we were taught chokeholds for like grappling and stuff. But apparently, I didn't know this, and I, you know, at the time. But apparently, if you use this part of your wrist or something hard surface instead of your elbow to do like a modified chokehold, if you use this part, you can actually collapse the trachea, and then that person's windpipe would basically they would have, they wouldn't have an airway. They wouldn't need an innovation. I don't even know if you could get an innovation. You might need a, like a tracheostomy or something. Mm-hmm. I but wonder. That's yeah, probably what. Oh my god! If that happened, I, I, if he's driving, and she's in the in the passenger seat, and she says something to make him so mad that he just lashes out with one, you know, one hit. I, I don't know if that's what happened or not. We all know that when we're taking any medication or supplement, dosage matters, and it's important to take enough to get the desired result. For example, only taking a 10 milligram Tylenol might not help with your headache. Well, the same is true for CBD. If you try a low-dose CBD product, you may not feel anything. But it's not the CBD's fault. The dosage is the problem. This is why CBD Stat only makes high-dose CBD products that actually work. And now, their products are getting even stronger. CBD Stat is happy to announce that they're launching a new, extra-strength version of its highly popular topical products that have 7,500 milligrams of CBD. This new strength will by far maintain CBD Stat's status as the most powerful CBD product line on the market. More CBD means it's more effective in helping everyone tackle daily aches and pains. CBD Stat sent me a box of these new products, and I already knew it was going to work because I've been using it for my neck pain and foot pain, but I can definitely tell the difference in this new strength, and I'm really excited to get to tell you guys about it. And on top of these new higher strength products, they're also dropping prices across the board on all their products to make CBD Stat not only the most effective on the market, but also the most affordable. And don't forget, all you healthcare workers out there, get a special additional discount to help keep you strong. Just head to cbdstat.care forward slash healthcare and find your new secret weapon. That's cbdstat.care forward slash healthcare. So the case against him was halted as he filed a notice that he intended to rely on the defense of mental disease or defect. Two psychologists performed mental evaluations on Tate and determined that there was no mental defect present at the time of the murder. Whoa. mm -hmm. He reportedly has a history of depression and was diagnosed with attention deficit disorder while in medical school. He would later add bipolar disorder to his list of diagnoses. He also described himself as a, quote, social drinker. And he would use alcohol in excess during, quote, manic periods. He admitted to consuming alcohol the night before Kinsey's death. I wonder if he was 
taking medication. I don't think it says for anxiety and depression because those medications do not, especially the bipolar medications, do not mix well with alcohol. Absolutely no, not. not at all. Terrible idea. Yeah, terrible, terrible idea. The former Taliqua doctor also had a history of violent behavior. In 2017, he was arrested for assault and battery with a dangerous weapon, domestic abuse, for threatening to perform acts of violence. Those charges were dismissed at the victim's request. That happens all too often. I know. I was going to say that right now. I get so tired of these stories. I get some, I, I just get so frustrated because I just, you know, I've been doing this for five years now. So man, the time, number of times I've read stories where one person is being really violent toward another, threatening toward another, and there's an opportunity for that person to have to serve some consequences and they drop the charges because they don't, I mean, they're close to them. They don't want to see them lose their medical license. They don't want to, that, and then the person ends up dead. I mean, really that, you would not believe how many, how often, how common this is. And let me just tell you, the all the ones that I've done have been women that have been ended up dead in this situation. So, look, I I, I want to say though, obviously, I've done plenty of stories about women who've done horrible things against. Oh women. no, no, of course. So yeah. not 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 saying at all that that doesn't happen. It's just that in this that sort of thing, that violent domestic violence especially the impulsive type of domestic violence, the controlling behavior, using violence and threatening to control someone else tends to swing pretty heavily toward the male against female as opposed to the other. He was arrested again in December, 2020 for domestic abuse, but the case was dismissed due to an issue of jurisdiction per the McGirt ruling, a 2020 landmark Supreme court case ruling that the state of Oklahoma did not have jurisdiction over major crimes committed on tribal lands where the defendant or the victim was a member of a tribe. Yeah. The dismissal documents reportedly indicate that Tate is recognized as being part of a Native American tribal community. It is unclear if the case in question has been refiled in a tribal court. Yeah. So he's a Native American? Or, or recognized as being part of a Native American tribal community. So I don't know how, I don't know how that works. If he moves into a tribal, tribal community to be a healthcare provider and offer those services, I don't know. I have no idea if that's a thing or not. If you're listening to this and you want to send me an email, explain kind of how this works, maybe he is. Maybe he just is Native American or has, you know, some portion, but he definitely was a physician in a tribal community. So I don't know if it has to do with that or not. Well, he surrendered his Oklahoma osteopathic medical license on November 4th in 2021 due to the first degree murder charge. Online court documents say that Tate, a pretrial detainee, is being held in the Delta Regional Unit of the Arkansas Division of Correction. The case was reset, yeah, for jury trial and pretrial hearings were slated for February 27th in 2023. However, no additional information has been made public regarding the pretrial hearings. It's a very fresh case and it's not, it's not, it hasn't been determined yet where there's a lot of things that are up in the air. I know he had some issues with not being able to get his medication, I think, not say he's, I would think he was saying he wasn't getting the, the medical treatment he needed while incarcerated. 
which is very unfortunate. I, I think I feel sad for people. I do a lot also do a lot of stories about inmates who are not treated the way they're supposed to be treated when they're incarcerated. I feel like we as nurses working in this environment, you know, working in a corrections environment in a jail or wherever, sheriff's office, I don't know, that it's probably easy to succumb to the culture of that of law enforcement that maybe is they have that tough exterior and they they maybe sometimes don't show compassion toward people or they just think everybody's faking and just trying to get out of their jail cell or trying to get something be manipulative and i think that there are a lot of really really awesome uh, corrections nurses out there and healthcare professionals, I hear from them a lot. You know, they'll, whenever I do one of those stories, they'll send me an email. And usually what they're saying is, I've worked for, for corrections in so many years. And a lot of times it's the conditions that they are, they have to work in. It's no different than anywhere else in, in the, you know, in the country working at the bedside a lot of times they have too many patients that they're trying to take care of. But also I think there's something about the environment that they have to work in. If you think about it, they don't have any colleagues. They, as a nurse, you have a nurse standing there and then five or six police officers, you're the only one, you don't have anyone that's there to back you up. If you're saying this person needs CPR, this person needs, you, you're all on your own with your medical advice. So it's a stressful situation. But I say all that to say that people, I don't, if you're, if, if you're accused of doing something and you're in, in prison, in jail, even if you've done something wrong and you're incarcerated, they're incarcerated, they're locked up. You cannot torture people. That is absolutely unethical and wrong. And you just can't, that is not a form of punishment. Wait, what do you mean? Where's this coming from? (laughs) Who's torturing somebody? Well, if you look at some of these cases, like what oh. he's claiming that they are withholding medical, um, there's been so many cases where diabetics are not getting insulin, just all, all sorts of all sorts of people are just not getting the the health care that they are needing when they're mm. being incarcerated. Yeah. Um, there was a story are, yeah. about this guy that had bed bugs that were apparently biting him or eating his flesh or something like that at a jail in Atlanta. And he kept on requesting and requesting. And then apparently, I think he went septic and died from it. Good Lord. I know. Well, and it's just like. What? And I think a lot of people would probably go, oh, you can't die from bed bugs. Well, no, if they cause yeah. sores. If yeah, they cause yeah. Sores, sores go to infection, then go to mm-hmm. sepsis and shock. And yeah. Then, yeah. You'd be surprised what, what can lead to death that, that you would never think of pressure ulcers, anything that injecting, injecting drugs. You know, mm-hmm. A lot of people don't realize that, that inject, you know, IV drug use is not just bad for, because of the, you know, the addiction that it can cause or substance dependence that it can ca- cause, but also the infections. Oh my gosh, the heart infections, mm-hmm. the skin infections, the bone infections, all of the things that it can, you know, lo- loss of limbs, it's pe- paralysis. Yeah. So That's many why, consequences. Yeah. Oh no, I know. Of course on the NCLEX. I always tell people like NCLEX is just the, there's only one thing that the NCLEX is trying to test and that's safety. And so one of the biggest safety risks is infection. And it's funny because as I'm going through 
We're doing about 600 case studies and we're doing video rationales for them and breaking it down. The guiding principle for everything nursing is just safety. And it's really just sad how like, you know, the jail systems and, you know, a lot of this, these public services or governmental services, it's supposed to be a corrections often, you know, a corrective behavior, but it's like, what are we really doing? Like everything's the, usually the system's broken and that's how people, yeah. I, anything. Yeah. Anything that doesn't make money in this country. Yeah, exactly. Anything, yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately they have to, those institutions have to sacrifice people's lives and put them in danger in order to make money. And it's, even if they're a not-for-profit organization, the CEOs and all the other people that are running those institutions are making a lot of money a lot of times, and they're not going to get those bonuses and make the salaries that they make if they obviously don't stay far enough into the black. So they will cut corners every chance they get. And it's sad because it's people's lives, whether you're talking about corrections or you're talking about hospitals, it's people's lives that we're talking about. But mm-hmm. uh, I think that's one of the reasons why... Uh, well. From various reasons, but the COVID burnout. I I read an article. Someone posted. I think there's only a hundred thousand active nurses, or maybe a hundred thousand active nurses left bedside since COVID. Yeah, I think that's what it was. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. Okay. During I'm COVID, like, what? <laughs> that's a lot. There's been sort of a trend among administration people who are kind of in the administrative side of nursing hospitals. There's been a trend toward trying to basically say that the the fix to this is to have more nursing schools and graduate more <laughs> nursing students. I am all for that. Absolutely. But if you don't have seasoned nurses who've been around, you know, a few years and know what they're doing to be able to train those nurses, and then you have new nurses training new nurses, that is a recipe for disaster. And it's also why nurses leave just a few years in because they're so stressed out so quickly. They feel scared to death they're going to lose their license, scared to death they're going to hurt someone. Yeah. So I, I think we've got to figure out a way to keep seasoned nurses at the bedside as well as new nurses. Clearly, we need a balance of both. Wait, so who was recommending the uh, more nursing schools? Well, for one thing, the American Nurses Association, it's been one of their focuses. You know, one, the, one of the things that they've been focusing on is trying to work on legislation. That's kind of what they you know, are lobbying for, which I don't think they technically lobby, but that's one of the things that they, they are against safe staffing ratios. <laughs> so not saying that I am an, I'm against the American Nurses Association. I'm just saying that's, they've been pretty vocal. If you go on their website, been pretty vocal about that. So I just agree. I, I, th- I know that there are a lot of people, very smart people, very well-intentioned people who think that safe staffing ratios being mandated is a, is a bad thing because, you know, where are you going to get the nurses? But I but believe- it's, that's, it's, that's why it's called safe. Yes. <laughs> that's yes. our, everything revolves around safety. No one can take mm-hmm. care of 30 patients, 20 patients. And if you have safe staffing, if you create the safe staffing- then nurses will stay. The nurses will come back. I believe it 100%. There's too many nurses out there who've left who are actually sad about the fact that they had to walk away from the bedside because of the conditions they're having to work in. So no, it creating it, having safe staffing ratios is not going to 
make the problem worse. You know, if you, I've been working as a transfer coordinator the past like three, four months, and I work with between hospitals with, you know, one hospital wanting to transfer a patient that needs a higher level of care or some service that they don't offer there. And so if they're, if it's, if their weather conditions are not right, too foggy or whatever, you're not going to get a helicopter. You just don't have a helicopter. You, you just don't. And same thing with, with an ambulance. So you can't, you, they will not drive their truck if, if the conditions are not safe. And so you have patients who are literally at, in an emergency department needing, needing a higher level of care, and there is no transportation for them because of conditions. You're literally waiting for, for help for them. Why is that? Because somewhere, someone put their foot down and said, absolutely not. If these are the conditions, I don't care what's going on. You cannot, but in a hospital, it, they will just continue to take patient after patient after patient. And sorry, we, we don't have, there's nothing we can do. And the nurses are just going to get put more uh, on to them, you know, more and more and more and have to absorb more and more responsibilities. But it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense though. Cause any other industry, like a hotel sells out, a cruise ship sells out all these things, but it's like hospitals, they you know, aren't always full, but even so say it is all at all full, you know, like one nurse, if everyone calls off one nurse can't take care of a whole ward. No. And, and you know what? I do also believe our government has something to do with this too, because they're, you know, the Imtala laws that say that if somebody walks through the door, you got to see them. That has really hurt our healthcare system. It really has. I know it was in, it was well-intentioned because hospitals would, you know, of course, try to make money. They would dump patients off at another hospital, send them down the road because they didn't want them because they didn't have insurance. And so you can't refuse someone. You can't refuse to take someone. But then you end up with emergency departments literally overflowing patients out in the hallway, patients sitting in wheelchairs that are having chest pain and nobody's done an EKG and nobody's certainly not taking any blood and people who are just can't breathe, their oxygen levels are low, but they're just sitting in a wheelchair. They haven't even been triaged. So, you know, this is this the situation that we come that we've come to, and I think a lot of people in our country really have no idea. They just oh no, really, not at all. Yeah, I worked in an ER in uh, Orange County, California, and it was a children's pediatric ER that kept on. Actually, it was Chalk Children's Hospital. It kept on going bankrupt because it would get a lot of people without insurance, usually from the poverty level. And Imtala law says you got to treat him, you got to treat him. And it's like, boom, consistently going bankrupt. And I'm like, dude, something's got to be fixed. Or even getting into preventative medicine. If you had a healthcare system that took care of people, if we, if, if, you know, if we were actually using our tax dollars to actually take care of people, they wouldn't have to use the ER as a primary care. That's no, but that's, yeah, that's the thing too. It's like, the, the way our healthcare system is set up right now is that there's more money in treating a disease instead of, you know, getting to the root cause of that mm -hmm. disease and preventing it, you know? The preventative medicine, exactly. Yeah. I agree 100%. So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So you know I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. 
So one of them was following me around one day and she noticed my stethoscope. And of course, y'all know the Echo Technology Company that sponsors our podcast. They teamed up with Litman to make the stethoscopes, to beat all stethoscopes, the 3M Litman Core Digital Stethoscope. And this is the one that I use now. So she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to try one of those. So of course I let her use it and she just could not stop talking about it for the rest of the shift. It was so cute. She was like, you know, I can't hear anything with my normal stethoscope because I have tinnitus. And so she was so excited because she could actually hear what heart sounds were supposed to sound like. She said, I'm going to ask for one of these for graduation. And I was like, yeah, you definitely should. So just so you know, the echo technology that makes the stethoscope so amazing. Uh, you can enable it with a flip of a switch. You can turn it on and off. It has active noise cancellation up to 40 times amplification, wireless auscultation using Bluetooth technology. It connects with Echo's free app and software so that you can visualize, record, share, live stream, analyze heart sounds, lung sounds, and whatever body sounds you want to listen to. So you can go to echohealth.com and use the promo code GNBN to get $50 off your order. And that's Echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get $50 off your order. I also wanted to remind you that if you're interested in travel nursing, to go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there. And you can also see what they pay, the stipend, the hourly rate, all of that. I'm a travel nurse now with Trusted Health, and I absolutely love working for them. So go to trustedhealth.com, be sure and put forward slash good nurse so that they'll know that we sent you there and fill out a profile today. Well, I guess we can get into this good yeah, let's doctor get some good story. News. This is so, oh my gosh, I am so encouraged and just amazed and just so proud of healthcare providers when I see them doing things like this. But this is a story. It was from fox29.com off their news page. Surgeon runs down Philadelphia Street to retrieve organ from transport vehicle stuck in traffic. So, man, what a story. A Philadelphia, a Philadelphia doctor took matter to, matters into his own hands, or more accurately, his feet, to get an organ donation to a patient on time. Dr. Adam Bodson, a surgeon at Jefferson Hospital in Center City, was scrubbed and read, ready to perform a, a liver transplant last fall when he learned that the vehicle transporting the organ was stuck in traffic. Gosh, that's scary. I mean, really. To make the situation more difficult, roads surrounding the hospital were nearly impassable due to thousands of runners participating in the Philadelphia Marathon. What a huge oversight that you didn't leave a path for the hospital. I mean, I understand. I, I don't know. I feel like if you're going to have, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm all for marathons, but it, leave a path, right, to get to the hospital. Dr. Bodson said, we tried every which way to get them across. The driver talked to multiple police officers about potential access points. Unfortunately, despite that, the driver was unable to get across. So still dressed in his white lab coat and scrubs, Dr. Bodson ran for a half a mile, weaving between marathon runners to retrieve the liver his 66-year-old patient desperately needed. I flagged down a police officer before I crossed the marathon. Thankfully, who agreed to drive me back if I can get the liver. He said, I think people are probably looking at me a little more odd carrying the box. I mean, I'm sure they're probably thinking, what is going on? So they think that he's in the marathon. <laughs> or, but why is he carrying a box? I mean, really? And he's got a lab coat on and scrubs. So, oh, my God. Can you imagine how strange Crazy. that looked? Yeah. 
Charles Rowe, the patient who was prepped and ready for surgery that day, had no idea about Dr. Bodson doing this, making that run until the day after his successful operation, which yay for that too. I mean, he he got a, a new liver. This is, I mean, unfortunately, there are a lot of people who die every year on the liver transplant list. So, and, and other lists. So it, it's a it's an amazing thing whenever someone actually is able to go through the surgery and it, it's successful. So, wow, I love this story. Apparently, he said he's doing great. He's a great patient. He's really done everything we've asked of him. He doesn't look like he's had a liver transplant. Wow. The heroic surgeon hopes his story will inspire more people to become organ donors. He said, I'm really grateful or the, the patient said, I'm really grateful for what he did because if he had not gotten it to me, I would not have gotten the liver and I would have been waiting again. And who knows what would have transpired between that time with my body and everything. And I, I, I know exactly what he means. I, once you go back on that list, who knows? Yeah. So I feel you know, it's almost like winning the lottery for, for people. But if And it's sad to think about what has to happen, you know, in order for someone to receive an organ, because clearly someone has, someone's family and friends and have been devastated and their lives have changed forever. But that sacrifice that they've made and the really difficult decision to give life to someone else, you know, should something like that happen, I, you know, I'm so appreciative for those people being willing to do oh, that. Yeah. That's a pretty crazy story though, that he was stuck in traffic and just ran for it. <laughs> I know. I know, really. I mean, he's, they're ready for surgery and he literally, someone says, and he's like, where's my liver? Where's the liver? I, you know, and, and they're, well, he's stuck in traffic and he just goes for it. I mean, really, would you, would you expect a surgeon to do that? Or would you think, expect him to almost, would you expect a surgeon to really tell someone else to go? Like, yeah, hey, I, is somebody going to go get it? Delegate it. You'll be is like, somebody right. going to run and get this, but no, you just, he's just like, I'll do it. I'll step up and do it myself. Dang. Wow. Now, what if, like, yeah, I was like, what if he got hit by a car on his way to run? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, things like okay. that happen, too. A really crazy thing about, speaking of uh, transplants, I read in, uh, I think it was Tony Robbins' book called Life Force. He's talking about, like, the next 20, 30 years of medical innovations. So, apparently, there won't be any more transplants anymore because they're able to do a 3D model based on your cells of any organ. And then they can take stem cells out of your body and just basically spray this kind of scaffolding with your own cells. So there'd be no rejection. You just put it back into your body. Oh my gosh. What an amazing thing that would right? be if, for people who are, you know, have chronic kidney disease, you know, end stage renal disease, obviously liver disease like hepatitis and cirrhosis, obviously cancer. My goodness. But maybe That's amazing. Can, yeah, just like swapping out parts. Heart failure is one of the biggest ones. I'm like, man, or even after a heart attack. I've got to look this up. I know I want to know all about it, and I'll just do, have to do a show on. Yeah, on that. That's cool. And, and one of the other, a real, another really good book is called "The Future Is Faster Than You Think." They talk about a lot of innovations. How like ninety something percent of surgeries by like 2030 or or mid, uh, you know, next 10, 15 years are going to be all robotic. So 90% of it. And so, yeah, pretty much surgeons uh, won't even be needed, probably maybe just for 
dictation or I don't know, oversight of the actual robotics. What's going on? Oh my gosh, how crazy is that to think of? I've heard these stories about nursing being replaced by robots. You know, I can't even imagine. Can you imagine being a patient in the hospital and a robot coming to turn you over and Oh my gosh, do do the things that we have to do to patients. But maybe people would prefer this inanimate thing, you know, this non-human form doing it rather than an actual person. Because so many times I've had people say, oh gosh, this is so embarrassing. It's so humiliating. It is though, yeah. Yeah. The other thing, I I think the future of medicine is going to be fascinating with the advent of like AI and the use of stem cells and the use of like technologies. Because they were even talking about how CT scanners, it's going to actually diagnose you even on the cellular level. You won't even need radiologists anymore. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing because look, we are having a shortage of doctors in this country. And nurses, right? So, (sighs) but imagine if everything was kind of like a metric, like I'm wearing an aura ring right now, which is like a Fitbit. And it tells me everything about my sleep, my heart rate, my oxygenation. It's like a pulse ox, right? So... But imagine like if the beds did that and everything was automated and all the vitals and blood and labs and like you just put patients in a tube where it's like anything they needed, all their medications can just come out of this internal pixels and do all and give a Foley or do whatever you need. They're going to give a Foley. They're going to put in an IV. Yeah. Whoa. I That's just craziness. Everything. I mean, think about it. But I think even so, going down to the root cause of things, I think that might be amazing to regenerate actual dead tissue. Because we can't do that right now in the in the medical field. Only stem cells can really do that. And think about it. Like, if someone has a dead heart tissue, there's no way they can come back from that. The only medication, like digoxin, that can increase contractility. But if, if that little cell's dead, you can't mm-hmm. increase contractility. No, once it's gone, it's gone. Yeah. And the... The heart has to figure out, a, you know, some collateral flow to get around it, but it's going to be weakened for sure. So. No, but I, so the last thing I'll mention is I talked to this doctor who does stem cells in the Cayman Islands and he worked in the ER. No, I think it was, an, it was a surgeon, I think, in New York, like in the 80s. And so he was telling me that after infusing, I think it was like 200 or 300 million stem cells, this lady who had like a contractor in her arm from a stroke. For like eight years, like two months after she was able to finally use that hand again. Get out of here. Oh, and my another, gosh. another person was on the heart transplant list, I think had like 10% heart function or something. And then did the infusions. I'm not sure how many they did, but then had above average ejection fraction or basically heart function. Good grief. I know. That's yeah. unbelievable. So that's what I'm saying is like that the technology is out there right now and it's just going to accelerate, I think. So I think it's going to be. Very interesting if, you know, the computers don't take over and kill us all, but. <laughs> right. That's the other, that's the other version. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the good nurse. That's the bad nurse story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the good robot, bad robot story. Right. <laughs> I'll have to do an episode, a sci-fi yeah, yeah. episode of good nurse, bad nurse. That's great. Love it. Well, Mike, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. I always love having you and remind everybody where they can find your service for them, for those nursing students needing to pass that in clicks. Yeah. So anyone in nursing school, if you know anyone in nursing school, go to simplenursing.com. We basically guarantee that we decrease your study time by 60% and double your productivity. And if you use our product correctly, we have like a four-step program. 
you get an 82% or higher on every exam you take. So it's funny that you mentioned about the American Nursing Association because we wanted to start our own online nursing school, 100% online. And then when it comes time to do clinicals, we were going to do like a six-month rotation where you do all your clinicals, rent out a whole hotel, and then do everything that's non-nursing school. So have like mixers on Friday, like a live band, even like, you know, little retreats or beach days on Saturdays. And that'd be really cool. Oh my cool. gosh, yeah. All the things nursing students don't get to do. Usually. Yeah, everything that's like anti, yeah, what traditional nursing school is. No care plans, all that crap. <laughs> wow. I love it. Well, you guys, also, just so you know, his program is, it's not just really thorough and accurate and really tailored to helping you pass the NCLEX, but it's also really interesting and fun. It's like, he has a lot of like funny, oh, what do you call him, Mike? Just ways of memorizing things. Like, yeah, and I'm, my brain is mnemonic. Like memory tricks. Yeah, we right. actually also released... 22 songs that are parodies. Yes. Uh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like Sweet Kidney of Mine instead of Sweet Child of Mine or Don't Stop Believing. We have Don't Stop Breathing. And we do all the medications for, you know, respiratory meds like albuterol, steroids, methylzan things. Sounds good. There you go. I got, guys, it, it also makes a great present if you have somebody in your life that's oh, yeah. a, yeah, that's a nursing student or going to nursing school. What a awesome present to give them. All right. Well, you guys, yeah, you know, oh, you can no, find me at Tina. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate you being here. It's always good to see you and have you back on the show. And you guys know you can find me at goodnursebadnurse.com or you can email me at Tina at goodnursebadnurse. Always love to hear from you. And obviously I have to remind you that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse. Yeah.